Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative this Thursday morning. I am in uh, San Francisco, California this morning. We have three guests, uh, Dr. Judith Hermanson is in Washington, D.C., Dr. Isaac Nayumongo is in Kenya, and Leah Lucas is in Guatemala. Got it right? Okay. <laughs> so we're up here to talk about some research that they have done around the world to look at what we've been talking about for seven and a half years on this program. And that is that we've constantly said that co-ops help people to improve their quality of life. We've said that over and over and over again, and they went about to prove it scientifically, and this is what we're going to talk about today. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Great. Good, Good morning. morning. Uh, Dr. Hermanson, can I call you Judith? Please call me Judith. <laughs> okay. And Dr. Isaac, can I call you Isaac? Please go ahead and call me Isaac. Okay. And Leah, I'll call you Leah. I don't see a doctor in front of your name. There's none in front of my name. But anyway, we'll it's, uh, Judith, Isaac, and Leah on with us this morning. So, Judith, I'm going to start with you. What is this research, uh, and why did you try to do it? What What is it? Well, first, it's great to be here with you, Vernon, and really have a chance to uh, to speak with everybody about this. We're really excited about the research. It's just what you said. We know intuitively that co-ops are good for people but we wanted to see if we could prove it so that was our hypothesis and we did it in four countries four countries and who who sponsored it or uh, i'd say you you work and what 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 entity do you work for well, I work for um, the International Cooperative Research Group of the U.S. Overseas Cooperative Development Council. And as an organization, OCDC supports and advocates and tries to advance the use of cooperatives internationally so that people can lead better lives. Our research group is the research arm, and so we operate through scientific methods, as you said, and um, we were supported in this research by U.S. Agency for International Development. USAID. Most USAID, people know that's right. Yes. Okay. So you're using the scientific method to prove what I've known intuitively. You prove, you've proven that. And that's co-op. <laughs> people working together. Work. thing to show people evidence and say, well, Vernon says. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, Vernon said, but work. I got it. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and Dr. Isaac Nayomongo from Kenya, how did you get into this cooperative world? First, what work do you do, and how did you get into co-ops? Well, my journey to cooperatives is a long one, way back from when I was a young boy in uh, growing up in rural Kenya. 
I remember I used to take, uh, you know, milk from our, you know, uh, dairy, small dairy farm to the cooperative. We used to pluck tea, take it to the buying centers, uh, by, by restaurant, which is used to manufacture mosquito uh, repellent, uh, take it to the buying center, cooperatives. So I have grown up within the cooperative field for, uh, for a long time. And... Um, Currently, I work uh, at the Cooperative University of Kenya, uh, which is located in Nairobi, where I am in charge of cooperative development, research, and innovation. So that is my uh, journey into the cooperative world. And uh, since I joined the university, I've been working with cooperatives all along. And where did you get your PhD? I got my PhD, I received my PhD in 1998 uh, from the University of Florida in Gainesville in the USA. Okay. And Dr. Hermanson, I'm Judith, where did you get your PhD? <laughs> I got my PhD from George Washington University here in Washington. Oh, right in D.C., right in D.C., okay. Yeah. I taught one year there in the, mark- in the marketing department, and I taught five years at Howard I've wanted a PhD, so I really honor you guys. I've taught 11 years at the college level, five math and six years in teaching marketing. So, Leah, how did you get into co-ops and what, what do you do? What's your workspace? Thank you, first of all, so much. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. So I'm, I'm working also with the International Cooperative Research Group together with Dr. Hermanson. I'm research manager, so I'm working on the same grant and have been able to be a part of this really exciting research initiative. My, my base comes from rural Iowa, so a little bit similar to Dr. Isaac. I, I come from a rural community. I grew up in an agricultural family and community. This was really my first exposure to, to food co-ops in, in, my, in my growing years, and, and I became exposed to them in the U.S and then began to work with international development, looking at access to credit, access to finance in the agricultural sector. I worked with agricultural cooperatives in different countries. In Guatemala, I worked with textile cooperatives. In Bolivia, I worked with cacao that is produced in the Amazon rainforest. And, and in most cooperatives, in a variety of different vouchers to inland regions. Uh, you're coming in and out. We're having technological problems. So I'm... I got the cacao because I like cacao instead of chocolate. It's cool. It's good. So what I've got, what I deduce from what you've just said, you grew up in co-ops and you've been working in co-ops uh, in the international space in a lot of different sectors. Judith, I'm going to come back to you. This research, how did it come about? What caused you all to do this? Really to answer the question of whether cooperatives are making a real difference for for their members, uh, we like to believe that they are. But does this happen, and does this happen in different countries? So in the research we conducted in Kenya, in Poland, in Peru, in Philippines, so four very different countries, in very different geographic regions. It's not, they, they, uh, we wanted to see in these very different areas, um, do cooperatives work at a high level. Are they, in fact, whether it's an ag co-op or a savings co-op or whatever kind it is, is it the cooperative that's making the difference and is it making a difference for members? So you call this, what difference do cooperatives make? That's the name of your research, right? 
And at some point in this conversation, I'm going to ask you, what did you find out? But right now, you started in 2017, four years ago? We started collecting the data in 2017. We piloted the project in Poland, and we wanted to make sure that we use the same approach and the same questionnaires. So at the end of the day, we would have research that told us about each of the countries, but also that we could compare the findings and be able to have broader a broader um, set of outcomes that was beyond the findings. And if I might just go on for two more seconds, Vernon. Okay, uh, no, please. One of the reasons that we're interested in answering what difference do cooperatives make is because we believe, one, that they do make the difference, but also in international development that cooperatives are very powerful and they have not yet fulfilled their potential in advancing equality, shared prosperity, and leveling the playing field. And we think that that cooperatives are a wonderful tool for the USAID and others to use to help uh, countries that are are developing and uh, with emerging economies. So, Judith, I want to challenge you here a minute. Um, I'm African-American, and I have it that cooperative work shared prosperity, helping people to have social prosperity, financial prosperity in the black community in the U.S., in the brown communities in the U.S., in native communities in the U.S. We don't really have to go all the way to international developing countries because we have a lot of poverty here in the U.S. So I, I have it that what you're doing internationally can also work here for policymakers. What do you think about that? I think absolutely, yes. And I'm very hopeful that Maybe as a result of this program, too, that someone will want to look at this evidence and see what it is that we found. I'm not aware, they may have been, but I'm not aware of a similar study that's been done at this sort of very um, the cooperative level, if you will, uh, to look at it from the member perspective and then take that the information you get from the members about what they're feeling and some uh, concrete information about about how they're doing and generalize some results so that people will be inspired to support cooperatives. Got it. Then this is why National Corp Bank has been sponsoring this program for seven and a half years is to try to inspire people to get into this cooperative world for the reasons that your research done. So that's why I'm so excited. So let's get into it a little bit more. Dr. Isaac in Kenya, can you tell us a little bit about Kenya, the economy, how many people are there, what's going on in Kenya? What's the numbers? Yes, thank you, uh, Vernon. Kenya has a population of just over 50 million people. Uh, that is based on the latest uh, uh, census data. And the ratio between men and women is roughly 50-50, uh, with a, a GDP of uh, about 163. Uh, this is gross, a billion dollars. That is a 2017 estimate. The annual uh, growth rate is about 5%, and that has kept constant over the last eight years. So those are the really the, the statistics that we have in the, in the country. The unemployment is quite, uh, quite high, uh, relatively at about 40% unemployment rate, and we have a large uh, youth population in the country compared to the, the older population. So that is how the demo, uh, demographics play out uh, in Kenya. More youth compared to the older people. Okay, more young people 
uh, gender about 50-50 GDP, gross domestic product is $123 billion. Is that dollars you were talking about or euros or pesos? Yeah, yeah $163 billion. That was the 2017 estimate. Is that in U.S. dollars, $163 billion? U.S. dollars, yes, yeah. Okay. What's the GDP per capita? Do you know that? Uh, it's about $3,500 uh, per capita. Okay. Now, is that considered poor in Kenya in, that, in terms? Because it would be very poor here, $3,500 in the U.S. Yes. As I've, as I've indicated, you know, the unemployment rate in Kenya is about 40% or thereabout. And uh, it's really $3,500 is not a lot of money. So basically the statistics are telling us that uh, a lot of the money is we got, in very few. Isaac. We're going to have to take our first break. Sorry about that. We'll come back and talk more about this. We were just talking about Kenya. Please don't touch that dial. Information is power. This is why WOL makes a great partner for this show the idea is to give you information about the cooperative business model. If you use the information, that's where you get the power. It's power by itself in the information. No, it's not power by itself. It's when you like strike a match to it, get into action, and we'll talk more about that. Before we took break, we were talking to Isaac about Kenya. And I want to go back. I got GDP is $163 billion, men and women about 50-50, about 50 million people. Annual growth rate of 5% for the last eight years, which is awesome. Unemployment of 40%, that's the one that stuck me. Are you telling me that 60% of Kenyans don't have a job? Or that's the employment rate or something? No, it's about 40% of Kenyans uh, are not getting jobs. So you have young people coming out of college and uh, they can't get a job. And, uh, and so that is uh, the real problem that we are grappling with right now. We are not creating enough jobs for the young people who are coming out of uh, out of college. Got it. Okay. That that that. Okay. So I get that in the U.S. the GDP per capita is sixty-eight thousand. That sounds high. Very high. I'll come back to that. I'll come back to that. I don't see Kenya in this list right now, but you're saying about $3,000, $3,500 is the GDP per capita. I was just trying to get a sense for people, for me and for people out there. Yeah, it says 2017 estimate, Kenya, $3,500. We're in the U.S. It's $68,000 is the GDP per capita in the U.S., $68,300. Okay, so I'd say with 40% unemployment, with that low GDP, you have a lot of poverty in Kenya. So I want to switch over and ask, uh, thank you for that, Isaac. Uh, Leah, what was your role in this in this research? What what did you do besides, I don't know, read and, and talk to Judith about what she's doing? What did you do? Yes, so I'm... I'm happy to, to share where I joined in and when I joined into this project. So as Judith mentioned, this has been a four-year 
ongoing project. It was done in a sequential manner. So one country would come after the next and the same methods would be implemented. So I came in at the period of time where we were planning for a really exciting part of the research, which is bringing the results to the countries and creating this high-level policy dialogue. So this was my first really introduction and involvement in the research project. This was planning the Peru policy dialogue, and this was last year in, in October. And so it's important to sort of explain why we do this. And this research and the methodology is quite innovative and empowering in multiple ways. As Judith mentioned, we are asking members what difference cooperatives make to them. We're putting the, the words are coming from their mouths, and this is, this is what our research is seeking. In addition, we are not solely asking the members and then taking their stories back to HQ or back to D.C., and writing up a nice blog post or a nice report about them. But rather, we're taking that information back to the field, engaging high-level policymakers and different economic sectors in the countries and able to sort of parse out those findings and ask ourselves and ask together, what do these findings mean for that country, for that locale? And so this was, this was my start. And of course, I've been involved in now in many phases of the research. But I wanted to highlight these two very empowering elements of the methodology that we're very proud of. Bernie, so I think ask- that what Leah said is just fantastic. And it goes back to what you opened this segment with. Information and information is power, but only if you use it. And so we really strive for that, that engagement. So... <clears throat> Judith, I was going to come to you too. Thank you for that. And if if Kenya has a GDP of three thousand five hundred, when you're talking to those members, were they above that in terms of their dollar amount of what they brought in? Did you just ask them for their words so you get a qualitative response, or did you go look at any kind of numbers, quantitative, to get the difference? Were they above or below that three thousand five hundred dollars? In Kenya, yeah. Um, generally speaking, they were above. Uh, if you are in Kenya, as in the other countries, and you're a member of a cooperative, you are you more likely to be using research language here. Not every single person, of course, but on the whole, co-op members have higher than average incomes in each of those countries, and are also less likely to be poor or very poor. And we did do numbers. We uh, um, if can I get into the re- research yeah, please, methodology here? Please. Absolutely. Um, we, we did a scientific sample of cooperative members that represented the different parts of each country, as well as the different sectors in which cooperatives were um, are active. And then we did a comparison group of people in those communities who are not members of, of, of cooperatives. So that's the first level of comparison that we did. And then we triangulated the outcomes of those uh, answers to the survey with national statistics. So we had sort of two checks on that. We looked at it in terms of the co-op members and the non-co-op members, and then we validated that or triangulated it with the national statistics. Okay. I'm glad you got into that. And just uh, the little numbers that I I, saw. In looking at this, I saw in Kenya, for example, you had 765 member cooperative members in your study group and 257 women in your study group 
a total of 1,022. And almost all of them, all countries, had approximately 1,000 people in your study group. And then in your non-member group in Kenya, you had 659 men, 348 women, and another 1,000 people. So you're comparing 1,000 members with 1,000 non-members is what you're doing. That's correct, yes. And you're asking both of them the same questions? Exactly. We were asking them the same questions, and then we we asked about social things. We asked about economic things, you know, income and so forth, what they valued about the cooperative, and, of course, if they were a member, not a member, that wasn't exactly the same question for them, but mm-hmm. what they saw of value as a non-member of the cooperative in their communities. So you asked them as... If you're a member, what's the value you see being a member? And if you're a non-member, what is the value that you see cooperatives bring into the community? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Fascinating. Okay, I think I want to get my Ph.D. in this. This work you're talking about is great. I, I, I started a Ph.D. <laughs> in math way back a long time ago in 69, and then I didn't I end up for a master's, and I started another one in marketing at GW. Didn't do that. It didn't catch me. But this is exciting stuff. How do people live? What's the quality of one's life? So we want to get to some of the findings that you had, maybe a little bit earlier than I thought. But what's one of the findings you found out? Uh, Isaac, let's talk to you about this one. In Kenya, in terms of quality of life, what did you find out for members versus non-members, members of co-ops versus non-members of co-ops? Hmm. Yes, let me just give you some background to the cooperatives in Kenya. Okay. Kenya as a country is ranked number one in Africa in cooperatives. And overall is ranked number seven in the world, globally. We have 23,000 cooperatives, 23,000. And about 7,000 of those are agricultural cooperatives. About 16,000 of those are non-agricultural cooperatives. So cooperatives play a really important role in members' lives in in Kenya. And from the findings of of the study, what do cooperatives, uh, what difference do cooperatives make, what we see is that members overall have better income compared to non-members and are less likely to be poor. So less likely to what? Oh, less likely to be poor. Okay. Okay. Yes. So really, that is a very high level, you know, uh, finding. We also uh, found out that beyond just income, being a member of a cooperative brings about better sense of overall well-being. So we are not just looking at money, uh, but uh, we are looking at, uh, an, you know, a sense of uh, well-being. We are looking at uh, financial security. We are also looking at, uh, you know, a sense of well-being within the community. So that is what, what was one of the other findings. The, uh, the other finding is that we get from this study is that when you zero in on women members, we found out that women members gain independence from cooperative membership. So they get their voice. They have leadership opportunities. They have training, they get support. So it's not just that, uh, you know, being a member of a cooperative, you have better income, 
But you also found out that if you are a woman and you are a member of a cooperative, there is a greater chance that you will gain independence. Uh, we got to stop there, Isaac. Isaac, we got to stop there and take our second break, and we're going to come back and talk more about the findings in, in Kenya and in other countries and what this means for the U.S. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. News Talk Station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. We have Dr. Judith Hermanson, who's the director of International Cooperative Research Group, uh, Leah Lucas, who works for that same group, and Dr. Isaac Nayamongo, who is the director of research at the Cooperative University of Kenya. Deputy Director. Okay. And we've been talking a lot. Right before we took the break, Isaac told us three things. You got better incomes if you're a member of a co-op. You're less likely to be poor. You have a better sense of well-being. And if you're a woman, you get your independence. And I want to break that down a little bit more. Judith, can you spend a little bit of time doing a comparison? Just on that first, and economic indicators are motivating factors for why people join and remain in a cooperative? What did you find out in that across the countries? What was amazing was that in these four very different countries, there was a pattern that most people, and this probably didn't need to do the research to find this out, but we validated it, joined for economic reasons. They believe it's going to give them some economic advantages. And they stay for those reasons as well. As mentioned, uh, higher incomes and, and greater uh, financial security. But they also tend to stay for social reasons. And we looked at the social dimension as well. Do the cooperatives with their principles about concern for community and continual learning and so forth, does this support the members? Do they value it? And we found that they did. And comparing that with the non-members, they're much more likely to be trusting of their neighbors. They're much more likely to have greater social networks and greater greater resilience as measured by access to resources and support within the cooperative community. So just real quickly, you talked about two of the cooperative principles. Uh, you threw them real quickly. The fifth principle is education, training, and information. So you get to constantly get that. And the seventh one is concern for community. And there are five others. We won't go into those right now. But the principles of co-ops is what makes co-op work and having better income and a better social wealth. Okay. And Leah, being a woman growing up in co-ops, what did you find interesting about women? Uh, Isaac just said that women had more independence. What did you find out about that in the research? How, what struck you as important about that? Well, I would say that my first exposure to cooperatives as a vehicle for women's economic empowerment was in Guatemala. And Guatemala is a country that has a really robust, rich, cooperative sector that is having very impressive impacts on women's empowerment. So working with women's cooperatives in Guatemala was, I guess, that first kind of contextual understanding of the impacts that it's having on real lives of, of individuals and the way in which women who are members of cooperatives are able to increase their independence because they now have a source of income. 
And so as Isaac has mentioned in Kenya, the, the rates of, you know, informal, the informal economy is, is quite large. Many, many individuals are not employed in the formal economy. And countries like Guatemala are, are quite similar to this trend in that there will be many individuals who are operating in the informal sector. Cooperatives are offering these individuals an opportunity to transition to formal economy and be able to make a living that is a little bit more robust, more secure. It's not only a living that they are independently needing to find, but instead they are they're able to do this in a collaborative community with their neighbors, with their family, with their friends. And so it's offering them a social protection, both in an economic sense with their very livelihood, but also in a social sense, because the cooperative is facilitating this social capital. It's facilitating greater trust and it's creating these robust communities that have double benefits, an economic benefit that is very powerful and life changing, not only for the women, but for their families, for the next generation, and also the opportunity for them to have another crutch in times of economic need. Great. In times of economic need, that gets to my next question I want to ask Isaac. Isaac, how did co-ops help people when they thought they were going to go to economic, but it's going to be an economic downturn? Or if there was an economic downturn, how did people in co-ops fare, which differently from people that were not in co-ops? Yes, one thing we need to understand, particularly about cooperatives in Kenya, is that, uh, and, and this is, uh, you know, similar in uh, other countries, uh, in that cooperatives give people greater bargaining power because you have all your products together in one pool and therefore you can uh, bargain for higher returns. And therefore, the cooperatives, as it were, they also provide uh, marketing avenues of product. So if you are in a cooperative, you are more likely to bargain for better prices, but also you're more likely to have a larger market share. So these together help, you know, members to cope better with, you know, economic challenges when there's an economic uh, downturn. The cooperatives kind of like form, like uh, up like a buffer, a buffer for the members. So they are not able to, you know, suffer as much loss compared to those who are not members. Okay. So much better off in economic downturns and um, therefore feel a lot better. Now, I also get, did you find anything about savings? Did savings increase for members versus non-members? Judith or Leah, who wants to answer that? Yeah, I mean, I would say, just piggybacking on what Isaac was saying as well, that um, the co-ops, what we found in our research was that the co-ops offer an economic safety net, if you will, from their own savings. And it sort of follows naturally, I suppose, or a questioner asking Vernon, that if you have a higher income, you're more likely to be able to save. And then there's also the social aspects, the support of the co-op and your social network so that you can group together, you can find different ways to to build your own resilience in the case of an economic downturn. And then often co-ops will have, whether they're savings and uh, credit unions or other kinds of co-ops, might have a loan mechanism. And so, and because they do character lending 
And because people are members of that community and they're known, they're able to access those resources. Whereas somebody who is not a member might have to go and deal with a bank who never really met them before and that sort of thing. So there's at least those three dimensions that um, co-op members have in an economic downturn. One, their economic power to their social network, and three, their access to resources. Wow, and that's great. And listen, I, before you go, Isaac, you mentioned a term I'd like for you to expound on a little bit more, Judith, and that's character lending. What is character lending? Because here I hear of you got to go and look at your credit score. What's character lending? <laughs> well, character lending is pretty much what what it sounds like is that you're a known person. You have some, usually some sort of investment of, uh, within the within the institution itself, whether you know through your participation or monetary equity of your own. And so, therefore, the co-op knows that you're a good bet. They're not going to just you know because that would endanger all the other members, of course. But they're not going to just give it away because you show up. But they know you. They know your character. They you experience of you. So they understand that extending credit to you would be good for you as well as good for them. Fantastic. Isaac, you were going to add something to that? Yes, Vernon. Um, and, and I just want to pick up from where Judith has left it. Uh, character lending, implying that, you know, if you are a member of a financial cooperative, what you call in the U.S. credit unions, and you want to get a loan from your cooperative, one of the things is that you are going to get that loan at a lower interest rate compared to what is in the market, you know, what you find in the open market. Therefore, as a member of a cooperative, you end up saving more because you are borrowing more and paying at a lower interest rate. So the burden that, you know, then you carry as a member of a cooperative is much less compared to if you are to take the same amount of money from the open market. So I think that is how also cooperatives, then especially financial cooperatives, come in to cushion their own members. Yes, and, and, and we've had several people in the U.S. where co-op started in 1905, credit unions are 1920 with five people putting up $10 each, and they have a billion dollars of assets, and is that character lending? But, you know, Judith, I've never heard it called that. I've deduced that from I know the person, so now I have a term to go with it. So that's why I wanted to go back to it. It's like, yay, I'm learning here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So we have better incomes, less likely to be poor, social well-being, better sense of well-being, and women are more independent. Did you do anything on happiness? And let me give you a little context. I had a lady in from Finland on the show for 2017, about when you started this project. And she said that Finland was a country that had more co-ops per capita normally than anybody else. And that year, the UN called them the happiness, the happiest people in the world, Finland. And I asked her why. And I was shocked when she said, because people belong to co-ops. And it, it seems to make sense. When you say, yeah, I have better income, I'm less likely to be poor, I have a better well-being, and women in particular, independent and feeling quality and having voice, did you do anything with happiness? And if not, maybe that's the future. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't burn and we didn't measure happiness per se, but like what you just said, we believe 
that if you have this great sense of well-being and you feel more financially secure and you're supportive in your community and you feel that and you're not worrying so much about the next dollar, that, that that will contribute to your happiness. But we didn't study it in a scientific way. Okay. So maybe we'll hook up with the UN and find out how they're doing that. And I think there were 21 different variables they looked at. I love this. I grew up in Bluefield, West Virginia with a working poor family, and it was always more month than money or borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. So the things that you're talking about here with better income, less likely to be poor, better sense of well-being, and then this voice and having independence is phenomenal. So what I want to talk about next and going into the next uh, segment is I have it that there are six pandemics we're working with around the world. We all know about COVID-19. There's the racism, which we've seen a lot in America. We see it all around the world. There is the poor economy, which is we're seeing in the U.S., but from Kenya, it seems like it's poor economy all the time with 40% unemployment. You have in the U.S. Uh, people shooting each other. Guns, I find as a pandemic. And then we have climate change all around the world. And then I say that in the uh, cooperative world, we have the field principal education training information, but sometimes it seems like some people don't know that and they have stupidity. And I think that's the sixth one. And with all of these pandemics that we're dealing with, how can co-ops better help us build back better? Now, I don't know what you looked at in your in yours, of which one of these, but that's what I want to talk about is future. How can we take this data get it to the politician, get it to the people in power that can make decisions, and overcome this COVID-19, which has uncovered a lot of the other pandemics, poor health, poor housing, blah, racism. So we only have a minute to go, so I would suggest we think about that one, and we'll come back and talk about it. And I want to give a shout-out to the National Co-op Bank right now because they have they have supported us for the last seven and a half years since the beginning, not only financially, but they've been there to help us with encouraging us to continue to do this. We'll be right back, everybody, to see how do we use this study to help us in the future to build back better. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. News Talk Station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative. We have three exciting persons here telling us about the research that they've been doing around the world in four countries. And said we're going to take the research that they've they found, they've proven, they've validated what folks have already believed. They've looked at it scientifically and come up with the data that proves certain things about co-ops. I want to talk about the future. So, Judith, you're having a summit coming up. What What is that summit? What's it called? When is it going to be? And what will you be doing in that summit? Yes, we do, Vernon. We have a summit coming up on May the 26th, and it's from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And we are going to take that opportunity to share the data that we've been sharing with everyone today as well and to hear from the people in each of the countries that we have studied, and that's Kenya, Peru, Philippines, and Poland, hear from thought leaders, cooperative leaders, and cooperative members to hear directly from them, one, 
what this research means for them and two, how they can take it forward to strengthen cooperatives in those countries. So we do hope, sorry, this is a plug, but we do hope that many people in the audience will be able to join. And you can register now at uh, ocdc.coop. It's a virtual summit. So everybody out there that's listening, you can go to ocdc.coop, and as soon as you come up to that, it'll take you right into this Global Evidence Summit, and you look at the evidence that they found to validate their the hypotheses, and you can sign up. You can register. It says register now. There's no fee, if I can, is that correct? There's no fee, no. We want as many people as possible to come who are interested in in these issues of co-op and how it can help to address systemically, I would say, uh, inequality and some of the many problems that you were mentioning earlier, Bernie. So you can also go to our webpage, that's www.everything.coop, and you can. we have a banner there about the summit. If it's not there today, it will be the, the the, the webpage person said he'll put that up so you could go in and register through there or go into the summit and register. We really would like to see more and more people get this information that has been validated in these four countries. And I have it, Judith, that this is the same thing anywhere in the world, right here in the U.S. I mean, we don't really have to go to four countries. I mean, four, there's 40% unemployment in Kenya. And I would suggest to you there's 40% unemployment in the black community in the U.S. and probably 60% in Native American communities. If we were to look at how many people are not working compared to how many people there are, that's not the measure that the U.S. uses. They use how many people are looking for work. But there's so many people that I know in the black community that stop looking. Okay, they just stop looking, and so they're not counted. I wouldn't be surprised, Isaac, if black Americans are at the 40% rate, too, if you did that kind of a measure. So it's it's a worldwide phenomenon, and I'm, I really appreciate you guys for doing this research. It's extremely exciting. Now I want to get to how are you going to use this to help us come out of COVID? Who wants to talk about that to build back better? Well, I'm happy to jump in then. The the data we collected was pre-COVID. So that we probably need to make sure that everyone understands that. But what it shows you is how robust co-ops were and are. And so this research is trying to reach, as you said, the politicians and the policymakers, as well as the cooperative leaders and cooperative members. Everybody has a role to play in advancing this knowledge so that the policies and support can be given to cooperatives in a broad-based way so that they can, in fact, begin to rebuild the economy. As Isaac said, in Kenya, uh, cooperatives are an important part of the economy, but they are in this country as well and in many other places. They're also a way that there can be opportunity offered at scale. And you were going to add to that, Leah? Yes, I I really wanted to get to the community-wide impacts. We've spoken a lot about the impacts on the individual households of cooperative members. And what we have found in this lens of the study that looked at community-wide impacts, we found increased economic development, perception of increased investment, employment opportunities, and an improved quality of life. And very important, again, is to remember the methodology of this study. We are asking the members and non-members themselves. And For these four different categories that I've just mentioned, we did not just ask the members. The statistics before me are from actually 
purely non-members. And so we reported on non-member perceptions in this section of the analysis, because if I have individual household level positive impacts, perhaps I also perceive additional community-wide impacts. But if I'm not a member of a cooperative and I'm simply a member of the community as this sample group that we asked, and they still see widely a majority of these individuals are acknowledging the positive impact that cooperatives are having on their community. So I think that this, this research that we found, yes, pre-COVID, as Judith has mentioned, is powerful in the sense that it provides us with a model that works. And as we are taking on the greatest challenge of building back a more inclusive economy that is also facilitating well-being and health of communities, we have a model that works. We can implement this model. We can connect it to financing, as Judith has mentioned, and we will have a powerful solution that can change lives. Co-ops are so, good for uh, members. Co-ops are good for communities. Co-ops are good for members. Co-ops are good for communities. And Franklin Delano Roosevelt used co-ops coming out of the Great Depression. Okay, That's right. so I, I and so he in housing and rural electric co-ops and credit unions. He used co-ops a lot. And I think we'll see how we can get Biden and Harris to use co-ops to help us come out of this economic COVID-19 racism, blah, 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 pandemics that we're having now. Because it plays the role for everything you've already proven. Isaac, where do you see co-ops going in Kenya? Where do you see the future for co-ops in Kenya? Yes, you know what, Vernon? I started by giving some demographic uh, statistics about Kenya, and I did mm-hmm. indicate that the ratio between men and women is about 50-50. However, when you look at the cooperatives themselves, the women members represent less than 40% in cooperatives. They represent less than 40% of employees in cooperatives. And yet what our study has shown is that where women belong to cooperatives, they do well, far much better, in fact, than men. Now, yes. the, issue that then we, then the issue we need to ask ourselves is, in the case of Kenya, what is the role of cultural barriers? We did not get a chance to talk about this. But women are limited in terms of accessing, for example, land, in the case of agricultural cooperatives. Women have limited access to education. So kind of like they start at a disadvantage when they are members of cooperatives because they don't have education and they do not have the resources that are required. But what this study has shown us is that we need as a government to have appropriate budgetary allocation that focuses on support to women because we've seen that uh, when they belong to cooperatives, they do much, much better. And we know that when we support women financially and develop them financially, their success is not just the individual success. It's the success of the family. It is the success of the whole community. So I I think for me, we need to look at a a way through which we can support uh, women in terms of uh, uh, providing the necessary resources uh, so that they are able to participate effectively in uh, in, in the cooperatives. We need to bring into place or into play gender-sensitive frameworks, frameworks that, you know, encourage women's participation. We need to bring into play policymakers so that, you know, they become sensitized and we show them 
that uh, women indeed uh, play a very important role and significant role so that there is need for us to support this particular half of the Kenyan population that uh, has been left behind in the cooperatives. I totally agree with you. And, and you, you just went to a slogan that I, from the 60s, train a woman, you train a family, you train a community. And you just said that. And I want to just, we've, we, we've got to finish up here. We don't have much time. I'd love to talk to you all in a couple more hours. But Judith, let's quickly, could you tell, what do you want to leave people with? What do you want to leave this audience with? I would like people to take away from this that the co-op model works everywhere. It works in different communities, different cultures, and it works because it has the power of um, of individual action and shared aspiration. So I would say, you know, support your co-op, join your co-op, but also raise your voice so that co-op policies can be favored in this country and internationally. Leah, what would you like to leave people with? Thank you, Judith. Yes, I will say that business has been and must be a positive force of change in the world. We see with the cooperative model, a model that works, a model that inherently includes economic, social, and environmental well-being at the core of the way that it does business. So we can take this model that works and use it to improve lives. Thank you. Improve lives. I think we're out of time. I'm sorry. I don't have time to ask you. But everybody out there, please go to ocdc.coop, sign up for this summit. Also, the ICA is having their world conference that's talking about the same kinds of things. And Judith may be there with this conference uh, in December 1st, 2nd, and 3rd in Seoul, Korea. Live cooperatively. We'll see you next Thursday. Your news talk station. 